you're listening to Theology on Air, a brand new podcast from the good folks that brought you, or bring you, actually, still, Theology on Tap here in Houston, Texas. I am Evan McClanahan. I'm the pastor at First Evangelical Lutheran Church. I make them nervous every time I say that. And uh, on this show, we are going to look at uh, theological topics, moral, uh, philosophical, spiritual topics, have conversations with believers and unbelievers alike. And uh, today, well, it's Halloween. So if you're getting this on the uh, Theology on Air podcast, first of all, thanks for subscribing and thanks for listening. Uh, Tell your friends about it. But uh, this is actually going to be a bonus episode we're going to release sometime in 2020, early on. Um, But it's uh, Halloween today in uh, 2019 still, also known, more importantly, in my circles as Reformation Day, Uh, the uh, 502nd anniversary now of Martin Luther uh, posting those famous 95 theses on the Castle Church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Alas, we know it best as Halloween, and uh, my guest and I both will probably be doing some trick-or-treating with our families tonight, all in good uh, fun, I guess. But uh, anyway, so I want to bring on my guest right now. We're going to be talking about Christian theology, horror movies, and what that genre can sort of teach us about Christian theology, so looking very much forward to it. My guest is uh, Philip Tallon. He is an apologetics uh, he's the he is the uh, director of the apologetics program at HBU. He might clarify that exact title, but a professor of theology and uh, teacher in the Honors College at Houston Baptist University. Uh, Phil, what what do I need to correct with that introduction? Oh, that's funny. Yeah, so I think the the fancy title is chair of apologetics, which uh, is just another way of saying uh, guy who puts out the fires. So, yeah. Sounds good. Well, it sounds it sounds a lot better than what I said. So I think I think I just introduced you as like a guy who does apologetics. So. <laughs> Good. Well, yeah, and, and people might be wondering, um, Houston, well, Evan's in Houston, and you're in Houston. It's like, ha, 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 you don't understand how big Houston is, you know? Um, you're probably like an hour away from me or something. So uh, so glad you could join me by Skype, which is just about as good as, as being here in the studio with me. Um, yeah, but uh, tell us a little bit about what you do uh, at HBU, and maybe a little bit about some of HBU's apologetics you know, programs and courses and things, and then how you got into the topic of uh, well, horror movies and, and, and how that relates to Christian theology. Yeah, well, I um, thank you very much for, for asking. I um, love HBU. I've been here now. It's my sixth year. And, and we have um, – and HBU is, a, is a, a Christian university that really takes seriously the liberal arts, the classics, and, um, and then also serious theology. And so we – uh, or maybe it takes just that's part of taking classic seriously. It takes the biggest classic, the Bible, uh, seriously. So at HBU, we have an apologetics program. It is available to students in Houston, but then also online. And and we try and take a holistic approach where we engage big philosophical, theological, biblical questions, um, you know, defending the key truths of the Christian faith. But then we also try and take an integrative approach, looking at the ways that you know, people uh, come to form beliefs or feelings or attachments and habits and look at culture and all the ways that culture shapes us, um, all the ways that we just kind of pick up ideas out of the, the air just by, you know, the things we consume. And so we study cultural apologetics. So there are great figures in cultural apologetics, people like C.S. Lewis or J.R.R. Tolkien or G.K. Chesterton, who we think have a lot to contribute to um, the conversation and help us to understand how how it is all of us really as Christians can um, show people the truth, beauty, and goodness of the Christian faith. Sounds good. Sounds good. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, uh, in apologetics, there's like one thing to make a, an argument, you know, for the existence of God or something, but there's something else to imaginatively understand the world, you know, apart from God or, you know, with God, etc. So I, I like that you guys have a, have a creative um, element, you know, to apologetics at, at HBU. Um, well, well, speaking of, I guess, um, horror movies can, can teach us something about, uh, the world. I, I guess anything can, but, um, how'd you kind of get into, um, you know, uh, maybe the relationship between fiction and Christian theology and then specifically maybe this genre? Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've always loved, um, imaginative works, you know, and, and what they can add to, our sense of the world, you know, all from back when I was a kid, you know, reading um, some, you know, valuable books, but then also things like comic books or playing video games like The Legend of Zelda. I love the imaginative and the the ways that 
the imagination can kind of enchant the world that we experience. And but I also I also love philosophical thinking and argumentation. I just think uh, you know I love engaging wrestling with big questions of truth. And um, and so you know I think really that that uh, theology is done best when we bring to bear kind of all the facets of a human person, not just our rational capabilities, but also our sentiments and our, the things we can make and create in order to understand how these things shape the world around us. And so, um, you know, a big part of what, uh, my work has been is trying to understand the ways that, uh, the arts, um, can enrich kind of reorient our perception of the world and also our perception of God. Uh, and then conversely, trying to understand how um, what we know about God kind of changes the way that we understand and see the cultural and artistic world around us. And so, you know, I think this is kind of a two way street. You know, mm -hmm. we, you know, sometimes the arts can kind of help us to understand a little bit more about uh, who God is and what he's done. And then and likewise, Christian theology can help to kind of shape and refine our um, artistic sensibilities. And so there's this big conversation it's kind of ideally continually continually going on um between kind of the you know people who are making things creating things who are trying to kind of grasp something on the edge of um what's sayable and so artists often fill fulfill this function um and uh people who are you know testing things really kind of questioning and you know wrestling with the big issues of truth this is often where you know philosophers and theologians tend to dwell and so um you know, the, I think we lose something if we don't have a lot of different kinds of people in the room talking mm -hmm. to each other. Yeah. Let me, let me just kind of pause on that for a minute because, you know, if, if folks have read, say, Francis Schaeffer, you know, they, you know, one of the things that he talks about has how there's this sort of, um, the, these sort of steps in cultural change, I guess. And it, it sort of starts with a philosopher and then it goes on to the artists and then the musicians uh, and then it finally ends up, you know, in theology, you know, and sort of so so what the philosopher is saying in, you know, 1830, the, you know, the theologian is saying in 1910 or, or, or something to that effect. So we're, you know, that you have postmodernism introduced or, or modernism or whatever the case may be. And, and all of a sudden we're looking at the Gospels differently through a modernist lens. It's like, where did that come from? Well, actually, it's been in the culture for all these years. And, you know, with art, you know, one of the things that I've just about art in general but this certainly would be true of film as well, is that given that the culture by and large is, I would argue, more or less nihilistic, you know, art is often devoid. Uh, not to say that there's not a lot of interesting and intelligent art, but a lot of modern art seems to be devoid of, you know, deep meaning. It just seems to be, um, you know, sort of tropes of, of kind of icons. Uh, I don't mean religious icons. I mean, you know, cultural icons, kind of Andy Warhol-esque, right? You know, take a thing everybody knows and kind of deconstruct it. And what does it all mean? And um, so like in Houston, I went to a, a museum recently and uh, it was kind of the classic uh, Jackson Pollock-esque, you know, art on a massive canvas. And I'm left going, I'm just looking at scribble scrabble, but everyone else seems to think it's really important. Um, I mean... It, it it makes you wonder if the point of art, I guess, is to, you know, have a concrete foundation and sort of work, you know, out what that looks like, or if it's just an expression of something we can't quite, you know, put our mm. finger on, just raw emotion. I, is there a kind of Christian answer to that? That I don't even know if that's a good question, but, um, you know, what what would you kind of see as, you know, from a Christian point of view as kind of the role of art in, in, in understanding the world? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, one funny thing about the arts is that whenever you try and nail down exactly what they they are or should be, there's always a, a really wonderful work that's meaningful and significant that doesn't quite fit mm. into that category. So I'm always a little wary of, you know, trying to say too strongly, okay, this is this is what the arts should do. Because I think they one of the wonderful things, they often kind of surprise us and slip out of our typical categories. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I guess I, I tend to be, you know, fairly broad in my my approach to kind of what sorts of actions, as it were, works of art can perform. And and mm -hmm. so as somebody like Nicholas Wolterstorff, I think it was very helpful for me early on to to encounter 
because, you know, he points out that, oh, there's just lots of things you can do with the arts, right? I mean, you could make a, you know, a really well-designed sign to tell people, be careful, it, the floor is wet, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you make it a bright, vibrant color with clear writing and um, you design it so that it can stand up uh, on a variety of surfaces. And that there's, there's real design and work, artistic work that goes into making something like that. On the other hand, you can, um, for instance, um, create a painting that strips away almost everything that we typically associate with, um, with a, a work of art, um, stripping away what we would see as kind of content or subject matter, um, or even a skill and somebody like a Jackson Pollock, uh, in order to, um, you know, help us to attend to something like the particular qualities of the way that paint dribbles on canvas. Mm. Um, and so we're forced then to just think about the, the paint itself and how yeah. paint looks when it's kind of splattered about, or the, maybe perhaps the motions of an artist's brush as he's swinging a, you know, paintbrush about. And so, uh, Jackson Pollock's work, you know, can have meaning mm -hmm. in a sense, um, but just not the same sort of meaning we might attach to, you know, Da Vinci's The Last Supper mm -hmm. or to some other, um, you know, great, uh, content focused yeah. work. And so there's a lot of different kinds of things that, that art can do. Um, I mean, I do think that there is a, there is a Christian perspective on the arts, right? I do think that, you know, the, um, there is still a, uh, there are good purposes that Christians can point to, uh, for the arts. We should make art that's good for people, mm -hmm. right? Um, like as, as Christians, that's, that's an important thing. We should make art that helps people to, um, know and, and love the truth, um, as opposed to falsehood. This seems very straightforward, but the way that people approach this uh, through the arts, I think can, can really vary. Um, and, uh, and so I'm, you know, I, I'm, I, some of my, uh, friends and, you know, people I go to church with are kind of skeptics about, for instance, modern art. Um, and partly I think that's just because they, they have a, a sense of, what art, what kind of, especially like high art is supposed to do that comes from, you know, older periods. Um, and then they're, you know, sort of still maybe coming to understand other things that a work of art can provide. Yeah. You're listening to Theology on Air, a new podcast venture from the good folks that bring you Theology on Tap here in Houston, Texas. And I have as my guest Philip Tallon, and he is a um, chair of the Apologetics Department. Did I was that better that time? Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Sure. Okay. Good. And um, so we're we're. Or you could say, or you could say, the guy who puts out fires. That's fine. The guy who puts out fires in the in the in the Department <laughs> of Apologetics at HBU. So uh, I'm a I'm a pastor of a small church. So yes, um, I put out fires as well. Um, and the fire the firemen down the street from us literally put out a fire at our church once. But that's a whole other oh. story. Um, but we're we're talking about art in general, but sort of working our way towards what horror movies, given that it's. All Hallows Eve, Halloween today, can and uh, sort of teach us about Christian theology. Let me let me ask a, a, one more kind of broad question before we really get into the meat of this. But which is, some people have sort of said that no matter how secular, say, uh, someone's approach to filmmaking or film writing or novel writing or anything, there there are only a few stories to be told, and the great stories. Um, you know, involve, you know, the biblical truths, because the Bible represents the way that God has ordered and designed the world. And so you have good, you have evil, you have fall, you have redemption, um, you know, you have sacrifice. So they're, they're really kind of meta story qualities uh, that make for a good story. And, and, and without them, you don't have good stories. Uh, and so I'm, I'm, you know, where I'm going with this is that in horror movies, you have some of those qualities, you know, you have good, you have evil, you have uh, suffering, you have perhaps redemption, etc. Um, do you think that's true? I mean, is there are there kind of limits to where stories can go? Or do you think there's still sort of new stories uh, to tell? Oh, well, I think this kind of connects back to what I said uh, a minute ago, which is that, uh, you know, I, I do think that there are, there's a kind of, there dwells a deep down richness in human creativity and in creation itself, where there's this kind of continually unfolding newness that's possible. And that newness is not a complete newness, right? Nothing new under the sun, as Ecclesiastes tells us. Yep. Um, but it, there are kind of, there's, I think there was continually kind of, you know, fresh insights and fresh ways of telling the truth. 
And um, so we see this all the time. I mean, I think there are, um, you know, new ways of telling stories and new kinds of art that uh, emerge all around us. So I grew up playing very rudimentary video games, most of which were focused on kind of hand-eye coordination. But then I played Legend of Zelda for the first time and I discovered, oh, there's a real kind of quality, fascinating quality of this thing. We're just exploring this this huge map and getting mm-hmm. to run around and, and discover new things. And now video games are all about this you know, world exploration and world building. Um, and, and so likewise, I think in, you know, works of works of art, there's a, you know, there are all kinds of new and interesting ways that they can kind of surprise us and do something different. But, uh, but of course I do think that the, the most important and meaningful truths uh, in, in a sense, you know, are, you know, those that the, the Bible tells us, right. Mm-hmm. That, um, that there is, uh, that reality is ultimately personal and loving, right. In the yeah. triune God, um, that creation is good, uh, and that sin only damages, um, or perverts some good thing that is made. Evil is not ultimate, right? Um, it's just the damaging of some good thing. God will restore things in the end and has an incredible capacity to do so. And so I, you know, I, I do think that, you know, ultimately the, the things that make works of art deeply meaningful and worthwhile in the long term, you know, are going to connect to some ultimate value and that, and that the Bible tells us the, the most important and significant things. Yeah. Um, but you know, there, there's all kinds of new and, you know, kind of quirky little observations and, you know, fascinating insights that, um, uh, that works of art can, can provide to us that are, you know, that are surprising and even unexpected. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the valuable things about, um, you know, the arts is that we, you know, they're, um, they do, they do tend to, without simplifying too much and talking about the kind of artistic type, yeah. they do seem to attract people who are kind of seeking for something that hasn't quite been said before and expressing it in the the only way that they know how through this particular, uh, particularly intuitive form. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think about like, I think Breaking Bad, for example, is probably one of the greatest television shows of all time, but at its core, it's a story of, you know, pride, you know, um, hubris, um, envy, you know, and things of that nature. Um, but it's a but it's a new story in a new context that that looks at sort of ancient sins and modes of redemption and such. But let, let's right. get into the kind of the horror genre here, um, because, again, it's Halloween and we all kind of want to be scared tonight. That's right. Um, so, what, <laughs> yeah, g- give us. Oh, and by the way, I wanted to say I bought one of those uh, NES uh, classics or whatever, you know, the little small NES things that came out Um I bought it two years after it came out when it was uh, at its market list price, not the artificially inflated price from <laughs> low. Anyway, I, I like cannot get past the first level of Zelda. So like one day you're going to have to come over to my house and give me a tutorial or something because I don't remember how to. I can beat Super Mario Brothers still, but Zelda is I'm at a complete loss. So Well, it requires a level of patience and time that I think uh, most adults no longer ah, possess. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably don't have my, my curiosity anymore about it. But um, well maybe start with what are, what are some of your your favorite horror movies and 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 kind of you know give us a big picture of what you think the genre kind of brings to the table mm-hmm. yeah thanks well I, you know I'm, and I'm, I'm happy to talk about this yeah it's a very fitting topic to discuss on halloween um so yeah happy halloween to all of you out there as soon as this interview is over i'm going to be putting on my costume and going out with my kids trick-or-treating around my neighborhood but um uh, or if you object to Halloween, then just assume I'm going to our church for our <laughs> harvest festival. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, um, of course, I mean, uh, Halloween is, I mean, it's not Halloween, uh, horror movies are, you know, really the only kind of, what we might consider like a mainstream genre of film that still attracts kind of a wholesale suspicion or rejection. I, I think few people would discount like a, you know, whole category on Netflix as bad or being the one exception for understandable reasons. But, um, so there's a little bit of defense that I think has to take place typically when you talk about why, you know, why horror is interesting and, and worth studying. And, uh, you know, I should say at the start, just, uh, you know, some people don't have a temperament for horror that, you know, they're easily frightened, you know, there's stories of, um, 
you know, there was a story of uh, somebody wrote to Hitchcock when he was, uh, after he made Psycho and said, after I saw, my wife saw Diabolique, she would no longer take a bath. And now after she has seen Psycho, she would no, she will no <laughs> longer take a shower. And Hitchcock sent back a letter saying, take her to the dry cleaner. <laughs> but, uh, so if you're that, that kind of person that, you know, becomes afraid of taking a shower after seeing Psycho, then, then by all means, please avoid it. Right. Uh, it's, you know, that's uh, why they movies, make rom-coms and, uh, yeah, you know, movies mm-hmm. aren't, movies aren't worth swearing off some wholesome thing like going camping because you right. watch Blair Witch Project or right. taking a shower. But um, for those who have the temperament and who don't have um, uh, moral qualms against watching it, I think there's a lot of value in, in horror. And maybe the first thing to mention is that horror movies are confrontational and challenging in a way that a lot of other what we call mainstream uh, Hollywood arts isn't, which is to say that um, horror movies uh, are expected to to be unsettling and disturbing, mm. which is not a quality that we typically ask of our entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that's, that's just interesting right away, that you've got basically a whole, you know, genre that's given permission to sort of behave badly and rudely um, and perhaps even upset you in ways um, that could stay with you after mm. you after you watch the watch the film so there's that's already uh, you know artistically interesting um, but uh, more than that I think the the thing that you know can be particularly valuable about many horror movies certainly not all um, but you know there there's garbage, useless, uh, nihilistic garbage in, in every genre, horror included, and perhaps there's even more of such uh, garbage and horror than in some other categories, but they're still valuable works. But um, So don't, um, don't assume me, I mean to say that you know, every horror movie is equally valuable, but there's, there can be, I think, um, some really interesting aspects of horror to reflect on. And, and one of the things that that I've come to, to see and thinking and writing and, and viewing horror is that um, one thing that horror does is that it, it reflects on evil, you know, mm-hmm. on the nature of evil. Um, and there's a, almost a philosophical quality to, uh, to many horror movies because they're trying to upset us um, and break, as it were, some norm that we had in place and so they work on us because they violated our categories of what, you know, should be, it should be true. Um, and so in reflecting on kind of why horror scares us, we can often discover something about what we believe about the world or what's just kind of deeply true, what our intuitions are. And so horror has a, um, an effect partly because it's interacting with deeply held beliefs, which we ourselves may not have examined. Right. Right. Um, and so uh, sometimes works of art, you know, can kind of cause, uh, cause work on us because they're, um, the, the artists are, you know, maybe perhaps more attuned to what we understand about the world than we are. And so, uh, Cynthia Freeland, she's a philosopher actually at the university of Houston. Um, until she retired recently, she wrote about, uh, horror and a book called the naked and the undead, really excellent book. And one of the things I think was really astute, she pointed out is that, you know, horror is about violation and it's about violation of our kind of um, our sense of order. And mm. so it could be a violation of the social order. Um, you know, people behaving in ways that they just shouldn't it could be a violation of the moral order. That's often the case, you know, doing things that they, they shouldn't nature itself behaving in ways that are kind of inappropriate. So you think about something like Hitchcock's, the birds, birds shouldn't be attacking us. That's not the way nature works. Right. All of a sudden they are, um, or just even violation of just kind of almost like reality itself, just the uncanny, strange, unpredictable things happening. And so it affects us in this way because it violates this order. And then we can actually then in retrospect reflect on why that's working and come to understand a little bit more about our intuitive sense of the world. And maybe in some sense, like kind of a deep sense of what the way things should be put in us by God. Hmm. Um, and so the, I think that it, that is one value that horror movies provide to us that, you know, make them worth philosophical reflection yeah. for some people, at yeah. the very least. Let, let me let me ask a question. So let's say one night I'm watching the news, right? And I see a story of a terrible event. Um, um, uh, a person uses Craigslist to find a victim who he ends up killing. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, someone just yesterday told me a, of a story like that on the news, and mm-hmm. it was grotesque and terrifying. And then 
you know, that makes for a good subject of a, of a horror movie, right? You know, some deranged person does terrible things to an unsuspecting victim. You know, think Silence of the Lambs, for example. Uh, it, you know, something like that. Um, <clears throat> now, my wife would say, I'm not going to watch a horror movie because it's already, it's already in the news. I'm already, like, surrounded by all this horrible stuff. I don't want to be reminded of that. You know, I want to I want to watch, um, you know, genre to be a, to escape. Others might. But 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 I guess to those of us who who would watch horror is do you think that horror might be a way to kind of try to understand the evil in the world, like try to come to terms with it or try to sort of confront it in a way, not just make it go away, but say what what is going on when when a person harms someone else? I mean, is it is it does it have an unintended unintended sort of cathartic uh, effect? Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, so that, that actually, it, and it's interesting you bring up cathartic effect because I was just thinking about Aristotle as you're talking about this. Because Aristotle says basically, you know, well, you know, really poetry is more philosophical than history. Um, mm. And and he's, he's thinking about tragedy in, in his book on the poetics. And, and partly what he means by that is that, you know, the way that um, a film or a play in, in Aristotle's case, you know, works is that it's not, it's, it's trading in kind of bigger, more universal themes, right? Trying to think it's, whereas, you know, a story on the news um, may accidentally have a sort of universal quality to it. That's probably some degree why it's, you know, made national news. Right. Um, but through through art, we can often kind of clarify details and focus in on important features uh, that can be a rich uh, a focus for reflection. So then, you know, it, it can make sort of, you can iron out some of the weird, you know, oddities of our contingent historical lives and present us with almost like a kind of a clearer picture of the deeper truth behind things. So um, for Aristotle, that was, you know, you have in tragedy, uh, uh, you know, a person falls from you know higher place to a lower place and he's not a perfect man, but he's still a pretty good man. And, you know, and then we feel pity and fear as a result of this because we have, as it were, presented to us a kind of a truer almost circumstance of something that happens in life, which is that bad things happen to people that they didn't deserve that particular awful thing that happened to them. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, and so the, the tragedian is kind of functioning a little bit, almost like the philosopher and kind of presenting us with some, mm-hmm. some truth about the world and horror can, you know, can likewise, as it were, kind of clarify things um, and this connects back to the catharsis of so some debate about what Aristotle means by catharsis. Some people would say it's mere kind of purgation, just getting bad emotions out. Um, there's another sense in which you could almost say that it's clarifying our emotions or purifying our emotions. And that connects back to what I was saying before, which is that, you know, when we, art is an emotional medium. Narrative art is typically you know, emotional, it's working on us. So we're watching a horror movie. We feel fear, um, at the, you know, the co-ed going into the basement. We feel revulsion at the Mm -hmm. horrible thing that she discovers. Um, and that, uh, that fear and revulsion are in response to very kind of deliberately planned things. And then we think about our emotions and we think, why am I experiencing this fear and this revulsion? And we can then kind of, as it were, clarify, the ways that our emotions interact with truths that our minds are perceiving. And, and so I think that um, there's a, a lot of value in kind of philosophical and theological reflection for works of art. If we take the time to kind of unpack why they work. Yeah. And, and so uh, I've got some thoughts on kind of how horror does this for us, but I've, yeah. I realize I've talked for a while. So I'll no, turn no. it back over to you to ask a follow-up question. Well, seven. let me give the number too. I meant to do that earlier. 713-526-8737. If you're in uh, KPFT land listening and you do have a question, uh, feel free to call in. 713-526-8737 to uh, join the conversation. I'm Evan McClanahan. You're listening to Theology on Air, a new uh, podcast and radio show venture from the good folks that bring you Theology on Tap here in Houston. And my guest is Philip Tallon, uh, professor at Houston Baptist University. And we're b- because it's Halloween, we're looking at horror movies uh, and uh, and Christian theology. Um, let me let me ask this. Um, one of the things uh, that that I think. Um, okay, let me. My my kids' principal at their school used to have this saying where they would say, "Be a problem solver, not a problem spotter." Right. The, the idea being that you know it's easy to walk around and be like. 
this is wrong with such and such. It's it's kind of like if you're watching the World Series, for example, and and, and the, you you lose Game Seven, and then the next mm-hmm. the next morning we're all expert managers, like, well, why didn't sh- they put in Cole? Exactly. Why didn't they put in Cole? Why why you know why did why did they why didn't they leave in Granky? You know, and of course, if he had done the opposite, they'd have been like, why did he do that? Why didn't he do this? You know. So uh, it's kind of that whole thing of like counterfactuals, like you you don't know what would have happened if the other thing had happened. So, um, but one of the things that horror can do well. Again, is it can sort of um, help us cope with the evil that we know surrounds us. It kind of like it, it, it's kind of like saying this is real, and maybe it even kind of su- suggests, um, well, because I think to to sort of thrive, you know, we all kind of have to deny to a certain degree the evil that really does surround us, right? Like we basically live in denial of the fact that one day we'll die. We de- we basically live in denial of the fact that one day we could be diagnosed with cancer or something, even though we know all that is you know, pro- possible or or inevitable, um, and so we all kind of maybe it, it it maybe we can watch a horror movie and we can kind of be like, well, yeah, I mean that that bad thing happened when that co-ed went into the garage with the ch- chainsaws hanging, like in that Geico commercial, which I think is hysterical. Um, but you know that'll never happen to me because you know I know better, and that's you know whatever. But in terms of like offering a solution to the evil, I don't know if maybe we can go there at some point too. You know. What are, are are there some good examples where horror, you know, does offer a good solution to the evil other than just kind of pointing out that it's there? But um, you yeah, you had mentioned kind of talking about how horror works and how it does what it does. So go, go ahead. Pick pick up on that. Uh, yeah, well, it's a, it's a great question. You know, I, generally, I would think that most horror is are intended to be problem spotting, not problem solving, um, My- just to say that it's. <laughs> It's generally trying to kind of rub our noses, as it were, in the the you know the bad things that we would prefer not to think about. Yeah. Um. And 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 that's partly why I think it we seek it out and why it's you know become uh, even more critically esteemed and people are fascinated by it. You know, is that we we live in the most you know, really materially comfortable. Well, we certainly live in the most materially comfortable century in the history of the world. If you live in, you know, a developed Western country. Um, yet, you know, we also have the highest suicide rate. We have the incredibly high rates of anxiety and depression. Mental illness is rampant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, you know, in many ways we're, you know, we're sort of reeling almost, I think from, and not to, not to downplay the, the seriousness of, you know, mental illness, you know, anxiety, depression, these sorts of things. But I think that there's a, a sort of almost a disorientation that we're experiencing now because we are separated, as it were, from the many of the realities that most of our ancestors experienced on a, a daily, weekly or monthly basis, which is mm-hmm. uh, mortality and in, even, inf- you know, infant mortality, war, plague, premature death. Um, we have a lot of solutions to these things now. Infant mortality is very low in developed nations. You know, um, we haven't had a war uh, that, you know, there's been a huge draft in for, you know, a few generations now. And and so um, there's, I think there is at least partly a kind of fascination um, with horror, partly, you know, because we, we, we sort of want to know what it's like to experience these terrible things. Um because in some ways we know that this, these things do happen now. I mean, of course, you know, um, some of the things that happen in horror, you know, patently unrealistic, uh, you know, some, you know, killer computer virus or some such thing as that. But, um, you know, I think that there's a a kind of an epistemological benefit that a horror movie can, you know, provide in, Mm -hmm. in letting us, you know, experience something vicariously, uh, which, you know, we, we think is, you know, maybe yeah. a possibility or at least that the deeper truth that it's telling us is, is a possibility. So there, there's that kind of problem spotting or, or vicarious problem, you know, um, yeah. experience, uh, that we, we get through horror films, but there's, there's also actually a benefit in a sense in, or in not resolving uh, the problem. So, um, I talk about, I have, a, I wrote a book, it's called the poetics of evil. It's expensive and, but it's available online. And so if anybody is really fascinated by this, they can read my book. Mm. Um, uh, you can buy it through Amazon. And one of the things I talk about in that, in that book is that, um, you know, part of what horror can do is it can show us that evil 
in a sense provides a kind of a dead end uh, from which there's really no moving forward. There's no redemptive good um, that we can experience in, in this world. Uh, that's it's not just life destroying, but it can be destroying, you know, it can destroy our morality. You know, people who experience horrors, uh, you know, are often much worse off by it. It's not mm. as if they just, you know, they become very compassionate, right. you know, kind people. Right. Um, it damages us morally to, ex- you know, experience or participate in or, or perform horrors. Um, and so part of this, what we see in this dead end of evil um, is that it's not as if evil always has a silver lining. Sometimes the only way to, for evil to be undone is just for it to be defeated um, and for us to be rescued by something which is not of this world. Mm. And so the only deep and lasting hope that um, we can find as it were on the far side of horrors is, you know, is an eschatological one is one that's beyond the grave is one that's supernatural in power. Um, So only God has the ability to put Humpty Dumpty back together again, as it were, you know, um, very often. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, and so I, you know, a film like Psycho, right? Um, I think Psycho can be is interesting uh, because it, you know, Marion Crane uh, is this, you know, pretty sympathetic character. She makes a bad decision. Her bad decision in no way merits the kind of awful fate that she um, that she reaches. Her murder um, it provides no good benefit to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't seem to. There's no soul making benefit. It doesn't even really seem to kind of be a due punishment for, for wicked choices. You know, the only, you know, way out of this thing is for there is for God to, you know, provide some ultimate eschatological hope. Um, so, uh, the problem diagnosing the problem spotting in a way can lead to a certain sort of problem solving and that it forces us to kind of throw up our hands and say, you know, God only you can make mm. this right. Yeah. Um, and the good news, of course, is is that um, as we attend to the category of horrors, uh, that that God Himself uh, in Jesus Christ, the God Man, suffered horrors. He suffered mocking, humiliation, torture, crucifixion, uh, which He did not deserve, mm-hmm. um, and which He showed in His resurrection can be defeated um, while still bearing the scars. And yeah. so we we cling to that hope god god himself is jesus's uh, crucifixion and death and is as you know is much a, a bit of horror as in the most horrific horror movie yeah. can portray sure. yeah i think the the um a satisfactory end to most horror movies is something like the following the hero barely survives is sitting with a blanket over her or his shoulders there are sirens and flash, you know, flashing police lights <laughs> in the distance. Um, the hero is sort of coming. The dead, the evil person is dead, um, and um, every, and yeah, there's some collateral damage along the way, but everything's going to kind of be okay now. Um, and so, if you think of uh, you know that from a Christian point of view, you can kind of think, yeah, you you need the outsider t- to come. And uh, I guess sometimes in the horror movie, actually, a lot of things that happens in a horror movie, right, is you got two pe- two people. I'm thinking of like Halloween or something. You have two mm-hmm. people fighting one bad guy, and and the first person is like knocked out cold, and then you forget about them. And then mm-hmm. you got the bad guy <laughs> and the other person, and they're dueling it out, dueling it out. And just when the evil, the bad guy is going to get the one lone good person's bang, there's a, there's a, there's a, a shot or a whack with a two by four or something. Oh, it's that guy that was knocked out that you thought was dead, and now he's back, you know. Mm-hmm. And he comes from the outside and sort of saves the day. He, he is, he is your redeemer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, maybe maybe there's some uh, some some metaphor going on there, but th- but that's sort of a typical way. Now, or you could have something like um, the movie um, Us. I don't know if you saw that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, spoiler alert. But um, you know, Psycho. We don't have to worry about spoiler alerts because it's like seventy years old. But yeah, uh, <laughs> Us. You may not have seen yet. But yeah, you know, it ends with this bizarre kind of image of all these people coming out from the underground and doing the hands across America thing. And it's like, oh, it's we're, we're we're witnessing an uprising here, and we don't know either. That's a setup for a sequel, or we're just kind of left going, huh? Well, there's an interesting fight on in their hands. There is there hasn't been a resolution here, um. 
So, uh, yeah, so it leaves you with that sense of being, um, okay, evil is real. It's something we're going to have to deal with. It's ever-present. Where do we go from here? You know, so, but what what are some movies that you think, I mean, I think people, if they think about horror movies and, and religion, they're going to think of The Exorcist, probably first and foremost. Uh, and, but what are some other, you know, movies that you personally think are helpful in kind of showing the relationship between reality, the reality of evil, Mm-hmm. Um and uh and and you know but do it well through the horror genre. Yeah. Uh. Well, you know, I uh I like um I like those examples. I was thinking about Halloween as well because of course there's that line at the very end of the movie um where the uh, Doctor Loomis named yep. after obviously Sam Loomis from Psycho. Oh, I didn't know um, that. Uh, Dr. Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, is asked, you know, was it the boogeyman? And he says, yes, it was mm. the boogeyman. Mm. Um, acknowledging almost that there's this kind of demonic fundamentality to a certain sort of evil that does not, you know, is not reducible to psychological explanations mm. um, or anything beyond just, you know, sometimes you just there's just evil that has to be acknowledged and defeated. And uh you brought up the kind of the need for some sort of additional force to combat evil. And one thing that, you know, you get in, um, a lot of Stephen King's work. So I guess we could talk about the shining is that, you know, there'll be this, you'll first kind of experience very often in a Stephen King book or movie, you know, something bad is brewing and we kind of buy that, right? Like, okay. Well, yeah, like really bad things are happening. And so he'll smuggle in, as it were, the supernatural through the wickedness of something, mm. you know. Um, but then he'll do this other thing. The Shining actually isn't a perfect example because I think we're introduced to the idea of telepathy, the Shining first. But he'll bring this other thing where I'll say, well, there's also like supernatural good power that you can draw on. And so the um, the there's a new adaptation of it that you know, the first chapter one got a lot of attention. Chapter one worked pretty well. Chapter two got some, you know, it was pretty widely panned. I don't think it's terribly good, but it has this basic feature, which is that, you know, the town is bad. There's like this wickedness at the heart of it. This plays out in all kinds of like social ways and, you know, psychological, sexual, you know, all sorts of Mm -hmm. evil just all over the, all over the place. And, but then there's this other kind of power as it were, that's, you know, that people can draw on to combat evil. Mm. Um, and so the, the kids, you know, have to kind of draw on, you know, their faith and whatever it may be in the book. This is especially clear. It's a little less clear in the, Mm. um, uh, the film. Is it a supernatural Um, power? Is it just the fact that they're friends and they form a club and they're in it together? Well, no, in King, it's almost always supernatural. And that's, that's what's so interesting about uh, King's work is that it's it actually is a supernatural power hmm. that we access via faith. Though King for King, faith is 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 a sort of almost synonymous with things like imagination or creativity, which is that it doesn't really matter what you have faith in, but you can kind of draw on this you know this supernatural power. So it could be The Shining, right? So in Danny uh, Danny Torrance in in The Shining, he uses mm-hmm. The Shining to call on Scatman Carruthers. I forget the character's actual name, yeah, the actor. Yeah. Um, and then you know he comes all the way out there. Of course, then he just gets hatched in the back, you know, in the, the first thing in a yeah. very uh, stunning scene. But you know, Danny is still able to overcome um, uh, his his father by abandoning him in the um, in the maze. And, and so, you know, there is like real supernatural power there. So you get that, that dynamic playing out in, you know, in a, a lot of King stories, the stand obviously being the kind of the great example. Um, it's not a horror classic horror movie. They did make a pretty good TV miniseries mm-hmm. out of it many years ago. Um, but you know, and that in the end, ultimately kind of God shows up and rescues everybody and God is working to combat, Hmm. Uh, the evil and uh so you you get that in in a few figures for the most part though horror is ends on kind of points of negativity or just chance you're able to kind of temporarily defeat the the villain or through the wiles of the hero able to escape from the trouble rarely with any sense that the person who survives will be okay. Yeah. Back, back to the shining quickly. Um, first of all, are you excited about the sequel or are you like terrified it's going to ruin the original in some way? Oh, I, well, I'm not, I'm not worried it's going to ruin the original because that original is so good that it's, it's unruined. Yeah. It's untouchable. Um, yeah. And, uh, there's just, it's like worrying that, 
you know, a documentary about the moon will ruin the moon. It's just, <laughs> it will still, the shining will still be there. And I don't know, man. Episode years. eight of the of Star Wars, like somehow, has impacted my view of Episode four. But anyway, that's a whole other thing. But yeah. Um, uh, but, but, yeah, but, I don't. Yeah, maybe so. I mean, I guess that's. But the, the, there's a there's an authorship, you know, issue there. And so, and, and yeah, in any case, yeah. I um I think that um yeah, I haven't read Doctor Sleep. I've read so much King, but you know, I I have to take a break periodically, yeah. and then I'll kind of get on another jack. I haven't read Doctor Sleep. Yeah. Uh, one of my uh, one of my colleagues who's also into horror, we talk about this. He just read it. He said, um, uh, actually, it's Paul Sloan, who you know. Um, oh he, yeah. He read it, so he didn't think it was uh, terribly good. I I did find it funny because I know that King himself has always disliked the Kubrick. Yeah, right. I've film, heard that. Yeah. But the the new film adaptation is just all about the trailer is all about Kubrick and, mm. and it's, it's just only drawing on all the imagery from oh, uh, from The Shining. Yeah. Um so you know, I'll I'll gladly see Doctor Sleep when it comes out yeah. and um happy to have you know more more king adaptations yeah. to enjoy but one one thing about you know the shining is that okay there's so th- let's say like halloween it, you have a boogeyman i mean he he you know mike mike myers is basically uh, a mystery he's unexplained he's just sort of sheer <laughs> yeah. evil he kills his sister and you know whatever i i think actually that whole first scene of halloween is is uh by today's standards really kind of poorly done and kind of hokey. I mean, his parents stand there on the sidewalk for five minutes looking at him with a knife in his hand, you know, as the camera pans out, it drives me crazy. But anyway, um, like um you've got you've got that, but in the shining, you have a normal person, Jack Nicholson's character, who is almost possessed and he kind of gives over. You know, he gives himself over to the evil. And that's a different kind of, and even a scarier kind of evil. And I, I don't really know what to make of the picture at the very end of The Shining where you see Jack Nicholson in this picture. It's I don't know if that's a reincarnation thing or, or what. But, um, but you know, but, but I do think in a very real way, you know, the way that evil really does work in the real world is that, you know, we sort of slowly give ourselves over to evil and before long it, it really can consume us like a fire. Mm. Um, and so that's what to me is scary about that book is that the father or that movie, I've never read the book, but that, you know, the father becomes the scary guy, you know, and, um, he's supposed to be the protector, you know, Mike Myers. Okay. You know, whatever he was in an insane asylum, you know, we, we expect that of him. So, um, anyway, but what, do you have any thoughts about, the 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 kind of catholic um possession exorcism kind of genre um or oh, maybe well, yeah i yeah I, I do i mean i, I uh, of course i love that stuff yeah one one note on yeah. what you're saying yes i mean i there's there's another value so again i'm, I'm very much kind of pluriform in the my view of the arts uh, arts can do all kinds of different things horror movies can say all sorts of different stuff and one of the things that you know horror movies often point out is that hey you know kind of there's a monster inside of all of us or we we're like the monster in a certain way um and so you get you know in you know in the shining the film a little bit less but in the book certainly you know jack torrance is a recovering alcoholic he's already abused his his son stephen king himself you know is a uh, mm-hmm. Um, an alcoholic. And, and so there was a definitely a recognition that these, he's vulnerable to evil. He's kind of open to it, receptive to it and begins to give way to it more and more. And so it's not as if evil's this, you know, for these boogeymen that exist to, totally separate from us, boogeymen can be inside us as well. Um, and so you get that in, you know, Shaun of the Dead is one of my favorite, you know, kind of horror comedies. Right. And mm-hmm. then, you know, in that movie, it's like, yeah, Sean's not that dissimilar from the zombies. That's a big part of the point, right? Mm. So there's the there's a monster inside us, mm. um, and uh, and so we, which we have to watch out for, you know. And that I think that's a valuable point that horror movies can frequently make. Um, but when you get to the, you know, uh, our vulnerability to horror, you know, the the demonic um, possession movie is a great example you know we um uh charles taylor you know talks a lot about how you know in the past people had sort of emotions of being having much more porous selves selves that were kind of as it were influenceable and you know influenced by outside forces um spiritual forces natural forces and now we have more buffered selves we tend to think of ourselves as being these kind of contained autonomous things um and uh, you know the the Christian picture, though, is that 
you know, we are, we are very kind of open to and vulnerable to, you know, outside forces and that there are all kinds of thrones, powers, principalities, you know, that can affect us. And, um, and the, the demonic possession movie is a great example of this, you know, all the way back to Haxon, you know, one of the earliest horror movies to the exorcist, to hereditary, to the exorcism of Emily Rose. Um, you know, these movies very often, especially movies like the exorcist or exorcism, Emily Rose or hereditary, really kind of put the fear of God back into us about the possibility of there being spiritual forces surrounding us that could influence us, affect us, you know, hurt us, um, and that we can't see, but they can have a real impact. Hereditary um, caught me off guard. Um, So I I, I rented that. I had no idea what to expect. I'd read some reviews, but I, I, and I, I'm a huge fan of movie critics and reviews. I think, I think I, sometimes I'll just read reviews of movies. I have no intention of seeing um, just cause I think that's a, an interesting sort of genre in itself. But hereditary was, was really amazing. And um, again, spoiler alert, I guess, but, um, but there is this um, Rosemary's baby esque um, cult like um, demonic or, or really in, in hereditary, I guess it's technically kind of pagan, but um you know, these kind of forces at, at work that's absolutely creepy. Um, the thing is, um, it, it, it doesn't it doesn't feel fanciful to me. It feels it feels real because there are, you know, groups like this, uh, you know, witchcraft and so on and so forth is actually pretty normal. I mean, I don't you know, I know there's like benign forms of it, but um, but I thought that that movie was just uh Really, uh, if you're if you don't if you don't know what you're you're in for, I think uh, it's really a, a cut above. And and I'm interested in the author's, uh, you know, sequel or or whatever his second movie that just came out, mm-hmm. which is also kind of about some kind of pagan paradise. Midsommar. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if that's horror or or what exactly, but I don't know if you have any thoughts on that um th- that movie in particular. But uh, yeah, well, I mean, I do think Midsommar is is horror, at least in parts, just because I think the, the main defining feature of horror is that it generates fear and mm. revulsion. Mm. Um, and those, and those two things are definitely present in Midsommar. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, well, hereditary, hereditary, I think is, is upsetting to many, many people because it presents a kind of surprisingly robust picture of Satanism really, or just right. demonic worship in a way that, you know, is, is kind of scandalous. So I mean, I think the, 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 the thing that stood out to so many people was the, the explicitly kind of what we might think, I, I actually don't know satanic liturgy, but there's this language about, you know, denying the Holy Trinity and then the, the evocation of the specifically of the Holy Trinity, yeah. I think, you know, was that, that almost felt like the most violating thing. You know, I, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say that. Um, you know, I've seen countless murders, right. Um, and I, sure. you know, and so it, 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 it is, it reinvests a certain kind of shock as it were in <laughs> Satanism, hmm. um, that, uh, you know, I think perhaps it, you know, we'd grown accustomed to. And so there, there are many things that desensitize us to this, like Sabrina, the teenage, Witch, the new Netflix you know, series is, you know, kind of just portraying as it were being a kind of a witch as like, just like growing up in any religious household. Right. 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 So this, a lot of the humor comes from that. Whereas, you know, with, with hereditary, it's like, I don't want to get within 10 miles of anyone that's involved in this. This is awful. Right. Um, and, and, you know, and so again, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I paid money in a sense to have to be so traumatized (laughs) by this experience. Right. And that's what, you know, that's, that's part of what I think, you know, horror has to, to give is, you know, not a lot of art, you know, works of art that are willing to just to make us feel that bad. And, um, and so yeah, may- yeah, maybe it's basically like like you know we live in denial, and we know that we live in denial, and so what we're doing is we're reminding ourselves intentionally from time to time of what's really out there. You know what what's really you know I don't know maybe maybe I mean because I even wonder why do I like to watch horror, and you know part of it is that I just you know I want to be entertained, and I, I I get kind of bored or you know I start to wonder if something you know my my wife basically says if if, if someone's not like you know, involved in like narcotic trafficking or murder, you know, I'm not interested in it, but I'm like, well, any, any other story is kind of boring, you know, I mean, I already know how it's going to end, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought with hereditary, it was, uh, just kind of slowly got like, you kind of drawn into this world more and more. And, uh, I, 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 I would, I would recommend it. I, you know, because, uh, but, but to me, it, it reminded me a lot of Rosemary's baby, which is, mm-hmm. 
got to be one of the the greatest you know horror films of all time um you know and again it's it, part of what's so creepy about it is that it's got a um you know everyone seems so nice you know like the older couple in the apartment next door or whatever and you know they're making them these like smoothies you know to drink for her mm. pregnancy and and it just but everything's askance like it, but everything is not normal you know yeah. um and i think we've all probably even known people who we you know who 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 became friends or everything seemed great and then we realized everything they ever told us was a lie you know right. and it's almost like you've been in the presence of sheer evil but we've we've got like literally two minutes so again <laughs> Phil, philip talon uh professor at hbu thank you for joining me i want you to have the last yeah, word here you got it and i've got a book coming out in a couple of years that'll be on this it'll be called cinema inferno i've got oh, a co-writer cool. his name is cameron McAllister. Great. you can check him out online he's really smart and says cool things says, uh cool things about horror so um just that's my promotional plug there awesome yeah give me give me maybe one more thought about one more film we we didn't cover that should be covered on the show uh, yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I do, I have been thinking about It Follows uh, recently. Um, mm. I thought It Follows was, was a, a fascinating uh, portrayal, a little bit more, um, you know, less less horrifying than I think Hereditary, which I would not encourage anybody but serious horror fans to watch. Yeah, yeah, um, thank you for that caveat. The, yeah. uh, um, it, it Follows is a, you know, kind of more indie horror, and it, you know, it's playing with some themes like kind of economic decline um and trauma uh in ways that are that are interesting mm -hmm. and just has a, one of the most fascinating monsters um of recent cinema it's a really nicely done film and a, and a movie that i i still think about and so um if somebody's interested in kind of like eh, a cool recent movie that's you know not super duper uh gory or um, but is, is interesting to think about. I'd recommend that as with all these things, like check out content stuff, you know, right. we've got Christian listeners, you know, if you have qualms at all, then, you know, please, <laughs> um, go look on IMDb and see what's right. in the movie and it, see if it's gonna be every, everything we've talked so. about is, is R rated. So, and you know, again, we're not, we're not saying glorify in the, in the horror, but at the same time, we, we live in an evil world and, and this is a genre that, that brings it to light. Um, it fall. I'm glad you mentioned that movie. I'd kind of forgotten about that, but yeah, I watched it a few years ago and was kind of stunned. It's almost possibly a, a kind of conservative critique of promiscuity. I think that's one, uh, way to, way to, uh, interpret it as well. Um, yeah, I think it's it, kind of it, a fascinating it, it, plot device. <laughs> Yeah, not a not a bad not a bad movie to have your you know um, teenager watch uh, your your youth group watch and say hey look kids you know this is yeah <laughs> one of the dangers of fooling around this is what happens when you you know um yeah you get you get uh, I don't know no that's that's an that's a really interesting film well anyway we could maybe we'll do this again next Halloween or something but thanks very much uh, Philip Talon for joining me and uh, we'll we'll keep in touch via email and I'll let you know where all this is posted if you want to share it but thanks very much for uh, coming on today. Absolutely. All right, man. You have a great night. Have fun trick-or-treating. You too. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Uh, Philip Talon of HBU, thank you so much for joining me. I am out of time. And thanks for listening to Theology on Air uh, here at KPFT, the HD2 channel. Go to kpft.org to learn much more about KPFT and all that we do there. Um, and by now, you will uh, be a subscriber, hopefully, to Theology on Air. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week, I'm sure, with some more podcasts and all kinds of great uh, entertainment and informative content. And uh, until then, may you have the peace that passes all understanding. See ya.